Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. We'll be talking about 1 Peter 1.21 today. We're going to be talking about how we have faith and hope in God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is a great study because oftentimes people tend to get centered in on Jesus. In fact, there's religions out there that will say that you are saved by Christ alone. And that is entirely wrong and ignorant and is completely contrary to what the scriptures teach. I am so thankful that the inspired apostle Peter penned the words that we're going to be talking about today. We need to think about Jesus. We need to think about him all the time, but not neglecting the Father and even the Holy Spirit, though that's not our subject for today. So I want to start with getting your, your wheels turning in your mind a little bit. And a context in Colossians chapter 1 that in reference to Jesus, you see this in Colossians 1, 12, and 13, says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers in the inheritance of saints and light. Notice that. The Father, which made us meet to be partakers, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In that context, it goes down in verse 18 and shows something about Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, or that is, in all things he is to be first. So when we look at scriptures like that, we, we get focused, and, and rightfully so to a degree. Because when we study the scriptures, all things are delivered into the hands of Jesus. We see this in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus is talking to the 12. Uh, well, no, let me rephrase. The 11, because at that time, Judas is dead. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth, meaning all authority. And John three thirty five says, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. And Acts 10, and verse 36 the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So by all means, we want to elevate Jesus to where he belongs because the scriptures teach that. However, it is not that he is going to remain in that place for all time, nor is it that he's there now to the exclusion of the Father. Let's deal with this in this direction. The plan 1 Corinthians 15 is, is about the resurrection. In that context, verse 24 through 28 says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign, speaking about Jesus, obviously, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith that all things are unto him, it is manifest that he is accepted, and that's E-X-C-E-P-T-E-D, which did put all things under him. And when also, or I'm sorry, when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and all. So you see the plan? You see what, what God's, the Father's intentions are? What does Jesus desire? 
You know, earthly carnal people tend to have power struggles. Well, there's not a power struggle between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we talk specifically about Jesus. In John 14, 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He wants faith in him as they had in the Father. But in John 5, 23, says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not Son honoreth not the Father which has sent him. So he wants mutual honor. Because rejecting him means you're rejecting the Father as well. In Matthew 10, 40, he's talking to the disciples. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. John, in 1 John 2, 22 and 23, says, Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. You're, they're inseparable. Yet, belief in Jesus is ultimately belief in the Father. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In John 12, 44, it's Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. See, Jesus doesn't have an identity crisis. He understands that all things are, be, are to be ultimately to the Father. And as we approach what we're going to talk about today, Jesus doesn't seek some form of self-promotion. You know, you see this in, in the corporate world. You see it in family businesses. Unfortunately, I've seen it in congregations where there's elders and evangelists and deacons, and there tends to be a power struggle. And it's for some reason, man just does not want to accept the roles they're delivered. We see it in marriages where the head of the home is to be the, the husband, is to be the, the father over the children, Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. And yet there's power struggles. The wife doesn't want to submit to her husband, even though that context commands her to do so as unto the Lord. The children don't want to obey mom and dad, even though the context requires that of them. And you get these power struggles. I wonder if that carnal-mindedness that you see in those situations doesn't plague people when they read the Bible. And they want to somehow create a power struggle where there is none, where they want to elevate Jesus above the Father and say, you know, Christ alone, like, like we see with Calvinism. Well, in John 5, I want you to just follow through some scriptures here. John 5, 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what so things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Same chapter, John 5.30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. A couple chapters later, John 7.16-18. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Next chapter, John 8, verses 28 and 29. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things." 
and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not let me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Same chapter, John 8, verses 48 through 50. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. See, there's no power struggle there. Jesus says, I'm honoring my Father. I want you to honor my Father. I want you to honor us both. To the Father be the glory. In the end, when the judgment day occurs, Jesus hands all things over to the Father. He's not going to be doing that reluctantly. That's the plan all along. Like we've been talking about in 1 Peter 1, these things didn't just come about like a, a casual thing. The, the, this plan of redemption, as we've talked about in this chapter, has been from before the foundation of the world. There's not a power struggle here. So 1 Peter 1.21, I love it. Uh, and and uh, let me say this. Uh, I'm not saying that Peter wrote what he wrote here to clear up the power struggle. Uh we don't see that there's this idea in these saints at all. I just love this verse because it clears up what people today tend to perceive incorrectly. But as we look at Peter's words, and this is picking up from where we were last week in verses 18 through 20. So of course, if if you're just kind of listening to this as the first podcast, you might want to go back and pick up the podcast on 1 Peter 1.1 and listen through at their building one upon another, and I'm not going backwards and covering them uh, all together. And, and maybe if you're you're forgetting some of the of the context, you go back and maybe pause right now and read First Peter one one through First Peter one twenty. And uh, we've covered all those verses in in some depth. So picking up at verse twenty one, who by him contextually talking about Jesus, do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So again, here is a great passage showing us that God the Father is to be believed in through Christ. God the Father raised him from the dead. God the Father gave him glory. God the Father did these things so that faith would be in God the Father. Let's tie the scriptures together as we do in our studies of God's Word, to show the consistency of the thread, to verify that we got the conclusion right, to make sure that this is in accordance with everything that we see in the Scriptures. We're going to start with faith in God the Father through Christ. John 5, 24. We've been in this chapter already. We read verse 23. Verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death and life. So again, I've heard it said many, many times over the years, faith in Christ alone. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, believe in me, believe in my father also. In John 5, 24, like 1 Peter 1, 21, believe on him that sent me. In Hebrews, the seventh chapter, great context going back 
into chapter 4 where we begin to talk about Jesus Christ as the high priest. Jesus Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not likened unto the pattern of the priesthood under the law of Moses that was the Levitical priesthood, but Christ after the order of Melchizedek going all the way back to the days of Abraham. Christ is the high priest, Hebrews 7, 19 through 25. Think about what is written here, specifically as we get down to verse 25. But just to pick up a little bit of the context, it says the law made nothing perfect. That's talking about the law of Moses because there's also a law today, the law of Christ or the perfect law of liberty. Galatians 6 and verse 2 tells us we're in the law of Christ. It says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 1, 25 and James 2, uh, 12 call it the perfect law of liberty. So the law made nothing perfect. That's the old law, the law of Moses. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And as much as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So did you hear that? He is able to save them to the uttermost that came unto God by him. We come to the Father through Christ. Now that's, again, even by people that seem to get this wrong by their statements. They'll use passages like John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But they seem to miss the point of the passage. That Jesus is the door to the Father. Jesus is not the door just to himself, but to the Father. Let's think this through. The Father made promises. And, and boy, we could have hours of discussion on this. Um, just to give you a couple of references for us to think about. In Isaiah 45, 17 through 25. It says, Israel shall be saved in the Lord. So here's this promise. And that applies in the Old Testament multiple ways, by the way. At the time Isaiah is prophesying, especially in this, this context, Israel is going to go into, specifically Judah and Benjamin, are going to go into Babylonian captivity. Isaiah has prophesied of that. It's after the days of Isaiah. It's in the days of Jeremiah that they're going to go into captivity. They're going to spend 70 years in captivity, and they're going to be saved from that. But in the greater promise, Israel should be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. That's not just in reference to the physical redemption that they received out of uh, captivity. Remember, we talked about last week different forms of redemption in the Bible. He says, "Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret. 
in a dark place of the earth. I have said unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speaketh righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together. Ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told you from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. Notice this, all the ends of the earth. See how that gets to be at the greater scope? For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word is going out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength? Even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. And the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Remember we talked about last week in part that under the law of Moses, no man could be justified, Acts 13, 38 and 39. So here, Israel be saved. The All, all men gets added in in this context, right? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear, and, and then justification. We're, we're going to put some scriptures to that. Who's that going to apply to? But before we do that, let me give you another prophecy. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. You don't need that explained, do you? You know that's in reference to Jesus. So he's the one through whom these promises are kept, and we get clarification of that in the New Testament. In Matthew one twenty one, as Joseph is being dressed about Mary's pregnancy, says, She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When we talk about justification. Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In 1 John 5, 12 and 13, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So all those prophecies point to none other than Jesus. Jesus is whom God kept the promises to the Father through. And there's a lot of scriptures we could go to. I want you to think about the wording in Romans 11 because it ties into our lesson as well that through Christ there is faith in God and, and through Christ there's glory in God. And through Christ there's hope in God, etc. In Romans 11, 25 through 36, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, 
lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them. When I shall take away their sins, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, that's the Gentiles returning, gaining mercy through the unbelief of the Jews, even so have thou these also not believed that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So the deliverer that comes, that saves Jew and Gentile alike, that is Jesus, shows the wisdom of God to whom glory belongs. That's wonderful stuff. And, and really, when you just go back and you read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 together, it is a great picture that is intended to resolve the division between Jew and Gentile Christians in the church in Rome. That understand, the falling away of the Jew leading to the salvation of the Gentile isn't to the exclusion of the Jew, but the inclusion of all having equal opportunity of salvation through Christ to the glory of the Father. Being the children of God, the Father, by faith in Christ. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's beautiful. That just wraps it up. That's a beautiful present with a tight, nicely uh, made bow. Wonderful, clear, concise scriptures that give us faith in God the Father through Christ and all that Christ did. So 1 Peter 1.21, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead. Let's talk about that. God the Father raising up Jesus from the dead. A lot of verses that we can go through. We're going to go through some. In Acts 2, 22 through 24, ye men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. Notice that language, which God did by him in the midst of you. Just keeps proving the point, right? As yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Acts 2.32 This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Next chapter in Acts 3, 13 through 15. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, 
whom you delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised up from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. In Acts 10, context we were in earlier, 38 through 40, Peter and, and his work among the first Gentile converts recorded. So Acts 10, 38 through 40. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, 26 through 20, or 26 through 20. That would be a weird reading. 26 through 30 says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. You see Peter preach it. You see Paul preach it. Paul wrote about 1 Corinthians 6, 14. God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Wrote about it to the apostates in Galatia. Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. See him write it to the saints in Colossae, Colossians 2, 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're arisen with him through the faith of the operation of God. So like in baptism, especially come up out of the water and the effect that is therein as it relates to the washing away of sins whom raised him from the dead. So Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, when you're risen with him through faith, the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. And you see the Spirit's involvement too, by the way. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So you see God the Father raised him from the dead, by the Spirit, you see God and all three persons working together. Great and wonderful stuff. You know, I, I, I don't understand sometimes the disconnect that people have. Probably the most known verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can't separate the Father from the work of Christ, nor Christ from the work of the Father. Mutual faith, right? Believing that the Father raised up Jesus is faith that God, who raised up Jesus, will raise us up in the end. It, it applies going forward. In 2 Corinthians 4, 13 and 14, we having the same spirit of faith, according as written, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Can't separate the Father from the Son especially when we're looking forward to the ultimate end resurrection. 
In First Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10, For God hath not appointed unto us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together for him. Folks, you know, understand the roles. That Jesus came doing the will of the Father, like he said, like we've read. Teaching the doctrine of the Father, like we've read. Doing the work the Father appointed to him to finish his work. And God the Father didn't just treat him like a UPS driver. You know, when we think about different motions in life, like you order a product from somebody, it's delivered by somebody. You don't normally glorify the deliverer. But in the case of the Father and the Son, the Father glorifies the Deliverer. And Ephesians 1, 19-23 says, What is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ? So you got God the Father working in Christ. When He raised Him from the dead, set Him in His own right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is kind of a parallel to what we talked about earlier in Colossians chapter 1. God the Father glorified Jesus. But Jesus didn't take that and run away from the Father. It is a mutual glorification. In John 13, 31 through 32, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is also glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God also shall glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, don't you just love that? It's just real clear. It's just real clear. Jesus desires that. In John 17, 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. It's not I'm going to take the football of glorification and run it my own direction. Now, Father, you're the goalpost. You're the goalpost. All glory to you. We have to understand that in all of that, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but let's focus on the Father and the Son in light of our study, that those roles aren't being abused. In 1 Corinthians 11, 3, Paul said, I would have you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. To the Ephesians, 4 and verse 6, among the seven ones there in 4, 4 through 6, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And this isn't just in the end. I mean, it's still the case now. Why do you think, like we talked about before, that Jesus teaches, pray to your Father in heaven. Why do you think that's the case? Why does Jesus teach, worship God the Father? John 4, 20 through 24, the Samaritan woman at the well. Because God the Father is still ultimately whom is glorified. Now, this doesn't remove the fact that Jesus is deity. 
when he was in earth. In the flesh, he was deity, and deity now that he is sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. In Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In John 10, 30-33, the Jews got it. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Oh, Jesus didn't make himself God. He is God. In the flesh and now. Think about Romans 9, 1 through 5. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness with me in the Holy Ghost. That I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the Father and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. In the present, Jesus is in heaven when Paul writes this. Christ came in the flesh. Who is God? Bless forever. He didn't make a distinction of then and now. Then and now. Jesus is deity. 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We see Deity in Christ. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And we go through other passages. You know, we could go back and read Isaiah 9 and see the prophecy concerning Christ there and who he is. And, and it's clearly stated in the old law. But if you're an honest person, I, I think Romans 9, 1 through 5 is where I generally will study with people and take them to show them the clarity of the language there. But you've seen it. You heard it. He is deity. In the flesh, he was. In heaven, he is. So, still has a role. Still has a role. Just like a husband and a wife are one, like we talked about earlier, made reference to Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. Even though the husband and the wife are one, they're still headship. There has to be authority. There has to be authority. And God has set forth things the way they ought to be. Like we read there in 1 Corinthians eleven three, that the head of man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, but the head of Christ is God in reference to the Father. So having said all of that, the goal, the goal. We believe in God the Father through Christ. That faith is reinforced in that God the Father raised him up from the dead. It's reinforced in that God gave him glory. Why? Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We get to see the promise of eternal life, not only in Jesus' death, but our faith truly is in what happens after Jesus is dead and that he was risen on the third day and ultimately ascended to the Father, which is in heaven. When you read 1 Corinthians 15, if our faith was just in Christ, we'd be of all men most miserable. Our hope 
ties the resurrection. We've talked about these things already in previous podcasts as we went through 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Our hope is in the resurrection, okay? So the goal of all of that is for our faith and hope to be in God. Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How do we get all of that? Through the gospel. Colossians 1.23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I am Paul and made a minister. Through the gospel, which is preached, we have that hope. We continue in the faith. I want you to consider something that Paul said when he was preaching on Mars Hill in Athens about how there is assurance with simply faith because God kept his promises in raising Jesus from the dead. In Acts 17.31, says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man who hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. That's where it all comes together. That's where it all comes together. In the resurrection. In the resurrection. We remember the Lord's death every first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And that is great. The Lord instructed us to do that. But if you neglect to focus on the resurrection, you're missing all that we hope in through Christ and God the Father. That assurance is in the resurrection. And that assurance, that confidence, is what keeps us moving forward. It's a great thing to remember it's terrible if you're not looking forward. In Hebrews 6, 10 through 12, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The looking forward. I often wonder... You know, there are a lot of problems in Corinth. And a lot of that contributed, a lot of their problems came from the fact that they were carnally minded. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, is not subject to God, etc. Romans 8, 5 through 8. But when you're studying the first two letters, or the only two letters we have, to the church in Corinth, and you see in 1 Corinthians 15, their problem there with the resurrection, that there were some that said that there was no resurrection. There were those that clearly had doubts. And Paul is giving them the, all the evidence that's there. I mean, it's a long chapter. It's 58 verses. And, and I think about what hinders people 
And, and you know, there's not one answer to that. It, there's, there's many, and it comes down to the individual. But I can assure you of this. If you're not moving towards the goal, motivated and looking forward to the resurrection, then you're not moving. You may be going backwards. You may be standing still. But both are apostasy. That motivation, that motivation that your faith and hope may be in God because God the Father raised up Jesus from the dead is what keeps us going forward. We want to remember when we think about Jesus that it is the Father who sent him. In 1 John chapter 4, look at a few references here. Verses 8 and 9 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through Him. And then in verse 14 of 1 John 4, We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're thinking about Jesus, don't do it to the exclusion of the Father. And the Spirit, by the way, we're going to be talking about next week, the Holy Spirit, when we get to 1 Peter 1.22, seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. We're going to talk about what that means next week. So I love that this context brings God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all into light and, and, and the mind of the reader. Great stuff. Uh, but for our lesson today, don't highlight Jesus and then move God the Father so far down that you forget that the source of it all is God the Father. Even as we talk about the Spirit next week, the source is still God the Father. Keep that in mind. It's a great lesson for us to consider. Our faith and hope in the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Looking at the resurrection and the glorification of the Father. This has been a beneficial study for you. You know, I'd like to hear from some of you from time to time. If, if these lessons are beneficial to you, I, I certainly love uh, taking the time to, uh, to give them. Not a very long podcast today. I'm, I'm wrapping up and it's uh, 42 minutes uh, in. So uh, that's a little rare on my part. Wonder what I did wrong there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, we've covered it, I think, pretty thoroughly. And it doesn't always take an hour or an hour and a half to cover things thoroughly. We've got it covered. I see no need to just throw scriptures on top of scriptures. We've, we've got it pretty good. I hope it has been beneficial for you. I've loved this study. I love all of them. Every time I'm teaching, it's just, it's amazing. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. So if you've got some questions on this or other matters, I'd love for you to get in touch with me. My phone number is 915-525-5794, or you can visit the website, wordsoftruth.net. Thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, uh, the podcast will be up on Tuesday as well. Until then, I will say goodbye and thank you.